Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. In this episode, we'll hear from a CEO of an AI startup that just announced a big acquisition. Then, we'll take a look at the effects marijuana legalization and expungements may have on the labor force in Missouri. My name is Siggy Reese, and I'm joined by my co-host, Teddy Mallorca. Teddy, how are you doing this week? Siggy, I am doing well. I have to say we really lucked out with that uh, predicted two to four inches of snow around here in mid-Missouri, and it turned out to be just a little bit of rain, pretty much. I know. I went outside uh, the next day after it snowed, and uh, the snow was pretty much all gone. And I think by today, it's pretty much disappeared. So no snowstorm for us here in mid-Missouri. Yeah, I was expecting to have to dig out my car, so I was very pleased to wake up to no snow on the ground. But are you ready to get into this week's headlines? Absolutely. Why don't you start us off? Let's do it. The U.S. economy grew by an annual growth rate of 2.9% in the fourth quarter of 2022 down from 3.2% in the third quarter, according to new figures released Thursday. Last year, gross domestic product grew overall by 1%. This is a significant decrease from the more than 5% overall growth in 2021. Additionally, consumer spending in the fourth quarter increased at a rate of 2.1%. Walmart is increasing its pay range for its employees by $2 per hour. The hourly wage will now range from $14 to $19 an hour instead of the previous range starting at $12 per hour. According to the retailer, Walmart employs 45,000 Missourians, which is 1.5 percent of non-farm employees across the state. Its raise comes as the U.S. job market has seen increased hourly pay every month since June 2020. Centene, the Clayton-based health insurer, closed its sale of benefit management subsidiary Magellan Specialty Health. Centene sold the subsidiary to Virginia firm Evolent Health after announcing the sale in November. The firm received about $660 million in proceeds at the closing, and has the potential to earn up to $150 million more in 2024, depending on performance metrics. Missouri awarded over $260 million to broadband access and expansion projects across the state, the State Department of Economic Development announced Monday. Funding for the projects is provided through the state's federally funded broadband infrastructure grant program, which opened in August. The projects work to increase broadband access in underserved or unserved areas. And about 40 St. Louis Public Radio employees will hold an election to vote on joining a union. This comes after their employer, the University of Missouri System, declined to recognize the workers as a bargaining unit. St. Louis Public Radio, which operates as part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis, initially filed a statement pushing for better pay, increased management and staff communications, and improved diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. For our first story, Siggy, you had the chance to talk to a CEO of a tech startup that just announced a significant acquisition. That's right. I spoke to David Carandish, CEO of Capacity, an artificial intelligence-powered support platform based in St. Louis. Capacity recently announced its acquisition of Textel, a text platform. Capacity employs over 100 people, including 35 employees from Textel. The financial details of the acquisition were not disclosed. So what did you talk about? We discussed the reasoning behind the acquisition, and we also talked about what Carradish has learned throughout his time in the realm of technology and startups. Here's more of that conversation. David, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. First off, um, I'd love it if you could just tell me about yourself. I know you've been pretty involved in other business ventures besides Capacity, and I'd love to hear more about that. 
Yeah, so uh, serial entrepreneur, born and raised here in St. Louis, uh, been in the tech space for 20 plus years. In addition to capacity, I'm one of the co-founders of equity.com. We do uh, investments in different tech companies, uh, many of which are based here in St. Louis. And then uh, also sit on the board of a nonprofit called Create a Loop, where we help teach kids computer science, regardless of uh, socioeconomic background. Uh, it's been really, really fun to see get off the ground. And then uh, also on the on the board of a nonprofit called Prepare.ai, which helps put on meetups and get-togethers in the AI space. So I'm curious to hear more about the history of Capacity and its purpose in the world of AI technology. Yeah, so our mission at Capacity is we want to help teams do their best work. And the way that we do that is by automating your support. So that could be automating internal support, think like IT questions, I need to reset my password, or HR questions, uh, I need to take parental leave. We can be on the internal kind of team member facing side of the house. We can also help automate customer support. Our whole thesis is that most help desks out there are doing things completely backwards. So they're focused on managing tickets, managing phone calls, managing emails, when really you should start out by saying we should be deflecting 70, 80, 90% of those tickets, emails, and phone calls from ever happening. Uh, so that's easier said than done. That's where AI starts to come in. Uh, so we use our AI platform to uh, take questions that team members or customers have. We send those questions to the AI. The AI knows the answer. It'll come back to you with the answer, either pulling from an application, from a document, or from your knowledge base. If it doesn't know the answer, we'll intelligently route that question up to your support team. Someone can then jump in, answer that question. But instead of that being a one-off uh, kind of transaction, we'll store that answer in the knowledge base so, so the AI is constantly learning the ins and outs of the system. Interesting. Um, so I want to kind of focus more on um, the textile acquisition. I'm curious to hear the decision-making process regarding that acquisition. Yeah, so we, we actually initially talked with Textel about doing a partnership, and that was how the, the conversation first got started. Here we were, we had a lot of background on web and internal on Slack and Teams. We hadn't done a ton on SMS, whereas Textel was all in on SMS, big, heavy, deep integrations with contact centers, et cetera. Conversely, Textel does a great job with having a, a person jump into that conversation and even doing some light blasting out of marketing messages, but Textel didn't have an AI powered bot. So if you work with one of like one of Textel's uh, salon customers and somebody wanted to do appointment scheduling, Textel could say, you know, type one to confirm or type nine to cancel. But if you said, hey, can I just move my appointment back 10 minutes? There was no AI to pick that up and, and intercept it. So we, we kind of looked at the industrial logic of the deal of, if you could take capacities, AI chops, and Textel's depth in the SMS channel, that two together could be uh, much more powerful than separated. Um, I kind of want to transition to talking more about your role as CEO and what you've learned through your time in the tech and startup spheres. Um, my question is, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned as a business leader? 
so I, I was pretty good at math. I did, I did well at math. Uh, one of my daughters is in a math club. I do with her and one of her friends. Like I'm, I'm pro math. But until you get pretty far up in math, you have all the variables in front of you. I think what gets interesting is in technology entrepreneurship as a business leader, sometimes you don't have all the variables you need to make the decision. Sometimes you have so many extraneous variables that you're not going to get anywhere close to a good decision unless you eliminate all the variables that are actually noise. And so figuring out how to both acquire the variables you need and eliminate the variables you don't is one of the most important skills of a tech business leader, of an entrepreneur. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for being here. Um, again, I appreciate the time uh, taken out of your day to do this. So it was nice talking to you. Hey, it was nice talking with you as well. For our next story, we'll hear about the implications of marijuana legalization on the labor market in the state. When Amendment 3 passed, it legalized recreational marijuana, but it also grants expungements to people with past marijuana convictions, right? Yes, that's exactly right. And Missouri Business Alert reporter Dan Micah looked into both what the timeline will be for those expungements, as well as how the erasure of marijuana convictions could affect the Missouri labor force. Here's that story. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. So, you know, Amendment 3's big selling point was legalizing recreational marijuana in Missouri. But tell us about how else it's going to affect state law. Yeah. So in Amendment 3, there is also quite a bit of provisions that talk about uh, the criminal side. Uh, I believe in early December, it became legal for uh, residents of the state of Missouri to possess uh, some amount of of cannabis for recreational uses. Um, But also... Um, within that amendment, uh, it requires the state to expunge uh, almost any any type of drug possession or um, you know intent to sell, really anything that has to do with cannabis-related crimes and convictions. Uh, the state is now required under its amendment constitutionally to get rid of those, to expunge them. Um, and you know, expunge is just a, a legal term to just say like these convictions never happened. So for potentially, you know, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of Missourians, this could be a huge boon for the labor market in Missouri simply because people can say, you know, I don't have a criminal background. So are there certain industries that will stand to benefit more than others from hiring these individuals? I think that is going to depend on, um, on on a number of factors. From the, the employer side, I think it really depends on whether an employer feels comfortable um, with that, although it, although legally, once the expungement occurs, that it, it's as if it never happened. It's like it, as if you know this person who is applying has never had never gone through the court system and had never been uh, convicted in the first place. So there's really no way for the employer to know, um, on, except for certain circumstances. But um, I think it's just gonna it's gonna like really open up on the uh, employers' side. It'll give them a much bigger pool of people to to try and attract and um, allow people to get deeper into the interview process simply because they do not have to check a box on the res- on their application that says I've been convicted of a crime other than like a speeding ticket over the past five years or whatever. Um, so that lifts kind of like a, a a hurdle that employers sometimes will just put for themselves just for liability purposes. Um, but for workers, it does allow them to get into more industries. It might grant them the ability to 
Gantt management. And it also opens up other things like uh, being able to get um, uh, housing support um, or other government benefits that uh, have traditionally said, like, if you have been convicted of of, of some type of drug um, uh, some some type of drug related crime in the past several years, you're not eligible for this. I think it all just kind of goes to a, the, the more pro- progressive ideals that we're starting to see here, and that like American society is starting to like bit by bit pull back from this idea that you know marijuana is you know on the same level of cocaine or heroin or you know abusing prescription drugs. And I think for a large segment of the population that enjoys cannabis, uh, that's going to be a boon for them. So these expungements are, are going to be all important for, for lots of people. Um, what is the timeline? How soon are we going to see these expungements start to happen? That is a very complex question. So um, legally, uh, under the amendment, we should start to see people uh, getting, their, uh, getting expungements um, uh, having, and having their records wiped. If you have a misdemeanor, you should... Um, under the amendment, expect to see that done sometime in June or July, sometime mid- middle of the year. And if you have a felony, you should expect to see that wiped, I think, around December. The problem here is that Missouri's court systems it has a lot of nuances that the amendment doesn't quite uh, match, match up with. For example, if you're picked up uh, and you're charged and convicted of a misdemeanor for possessing, let's say, a gram of marijuana— um, that's not a whole lot, but on your on your conviction, it doesn't say you know misdemeanor possession of marijuana. It says mis- misdemeanor possession of uh, of a of a um, of a controlled substance. So it's not exactly clear unless you go into every single document, um, you know, it, it, to say like you know was this person holding just you know just it was just holding cannabis or were they holding cannabis and or and say cocaine or heroin or something else that's a controlled substance, are they allowed to get that that misdemeanor or that felony wiped if they have both? If you changed your name because you got married, like that might not be automatically wiped because legally, um, you know, if you were you know Jane Smith, if you're now Jane Jones, like that might not be wiped and you know cause that might cause headaches. If you were picked up by city police and you were uh, convicted under a city court or uh, instead of like at the county level, um, some cities just don't have that those records digitized yet and shared with the Missouri court system. So you might have to go to the city and say, you know, show me these this arrest and conviction record so you can take it to the state courts and have your record wiped. So I think at this point, as we are... Uh, as we are looking at it, um, I would say that there is going to be benefits to the labor market for Missouri. But when that is going to really start to come uh, come available, I think is still an open question. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your insight and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It is now time for us to get into our words of the week. Teddy, what's your word this week? This week, Siggy, my word is interstate expansion. Okay, and what interstate are you referring to? I'm talking about I-70. Governor Mike Parson proposed an expansion of the key interstate that connects St. Louis and Kansas City at his State of the State address last week. I see. What exactly did he propose? Well, Parson wants to allocate over $850 million to add a third lane to the interstate. 
The proposal follows years of discussion about an expansion and similar proposals from state lawmakers. Wow, that sounds like quite the project. What other budgetary items did Parson talk about? Parson also advocated for an immediate 8.7% cost of living increase for state employees. He asked lawmakers to pass legislation and deliver to his desk by March 1st. That's all I've got this week. What's your word, Siggy? My word of the week is TikTok. Okay, so are we talking about the social media app or the sound of clock mix? Sort of both, actually. TikTok's time in America may be running out. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri introduced a new bill this week that would ban TikTok from being downloaded on devices in the United States. Wow. So what's the reasoning behind the bill? Well, Hawley says TikTok poses a threat to American privacy and security since it's owned by Chinese company ByteDance. Hawley says he's concerned about the Communist Party in China gaining access to private information through the app. Got it. But TikTok's trouble in the U.S. is not new, right? Yeah, that's correct. TikTok has already been banned on government devices in many states. And in my home state of Texas, access to TikTok has been restricted on campus Wi-Fi at some universities. However, it doesn't seem like Governor Parson will move to ban the app in Missouri, as its use is already limited on state devices. For a closing thought, here's Capacity CEO David Carendish again on working in the technology industry. If you want to be a tech entrepreneur, to not only understand the technology, but also understand the channel. So become become students of the various uh, traffic channels, customer channels, revenue channels. There are a lot of people that have great ideas, but if you can't get the channel to uh, promote that idea through or to get that business out, you're you're, you're going miss to a, miss a lot of the opportunities you have. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing music for this episode. For my co-host, Teddy Mallorca, editors Emma Boyle, Elena Fu, Nick Knoll, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacy. I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. 